All right, welcome back. This is your host, Patrick Higgins. And this is Luke Thompson. Welcome back to the Back to Birding podcast. Yes, this is episode two. Um, We had a pretty great response to our initial launch. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank you. Um, We've we've got some fun stuff lined up today. Um, I think the elephant in the room is probably the ancient Merlet. Which has been seen, yeah, just so, just recently. Yeah, that was a couple of weeks ago when it was first found. Um, it was like day or two after Thanksgiving. I think it was the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. So you know, a bunch of birders were out of town, and I was about to go on a hike with one of my friends, and I got a text on my phone: Merlet at Chickamauga Dam, uh, which is everybody's lake. heart froze. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, ah. I was like to my friend I was with. I was like, okay, I'm sorry, I can't hike, man. <laughs> I gotta go see this bird. And she actually came with me and saw it. Um, her state list. This is very much a tangent, but her state list consists of Ashley to flycatcher and ancient merlet. That's not a bad start. Yeah, uh, my <laughs> uh, one of my nephews is um, not even one years old yet, but he got to see the flamingos that were here. So <laughs> that's <laughs> so, a good yeah, start. So, yeah, so he's got a pretty good start going as well. Sweet. But yeah, I was, I was in Kentucky when I heard that this bird was in basically our backyard here in Chattanooga. Um, so you know, my heart sank. But I, I made the drive late that night and then slept at the boat ramp <laughs> <laughs> and woke up and it was there and it stayed for so long, like nine days. Yeah, nine days, I think. Um, and who knows how long it was there before it was found, too. So. Yeah. Um, a funny note is that two days before it was found, I was birding with one of my friends, David Holly, and we were scoping a couple miles up the lake um, towards where the merlet was seen, and the sun was coming down, and we kept seeing little distant specks, and we were like, oh, it's another merlet. Oh, it's another merlet. <laughs> so I think that we manifested it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, there, there's a, a Nashville birder that also predicted it at the beginning of the year. So <laughs> Through uh, a dream. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really, really wild. Yeah. So actually, that's what I did with the flamingos that yeah, came. That's at, true. Yeah. <laughs> back, <laughs> back in September, um, mm-hmm. Patrick, like two weeks before flamingos even started showing up inland. So like this September, um, after the passing of a hurricane, flamingos sto- showed up in over 10 states. Yeah, it was like it was 13 insane. or 15 or yeah, something. It was crazy. <laughs> wild. But two weeks before any of that started, Patrick was like, we're going to get a flamingo. Yeah, I, I, I just had a feeling. And I, I went, it was over Labor Day weekend. And uh, I was out birding on the Mississippi River with some guys. And I had a dream before we started birding that we were going to find flamingos in Tennessee. <laughs> and then at 10 a.m. that morning. I, I mean, I called you, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Luke alerted us. I was at work. Because <laughs> it was, it was through, a, we got the notification through kind of an outside source. But um, yeah, really, really crazy event. But who knows what the deal is with flamingos or dreams and uh, vagrants. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, and for those of you who don't know as much about birds, an ancient merlet is a tiny seabird. Um they breed mostly in the Aleutian Islands uh, in the Bering Sea. Very far away. Very, very far away. That's the Pacific Ocean. Uh, <laughs> and then they winter. Uh, they also breed some in Siberia. And then they winter down the Pacific coast, both uh, 
in Asia and in North America, yeah. but they only in North America at least get around down to California. Yeah, and maybe down to Baja. There's like a one yeah. or two <laughs> records, um, and so, and they're normally pretty far out yeah. to sea. They're a pelagic species generally, but for whatever reason, this bird decided. Well, obviously it wasn't like a conscious decision, but <laughs> this bird... I don't know. Maybe it was on vacation. <laughs> maybe it was like, you know what? Screw this cold weather. We're going to go yeah. to Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> but showed up inland in Tennessee. They do have a pattern of showing up inland, at least on the Great Lakes. In fact, another one was found yesterday morning. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was Minnesota? In I Minnesota. Think? Yeah. Um, but other than the Great Lakes and the northeastern Atlantic... And there's some scattered records, like, in the West Inland. Yeah, like, there's, yeah, like, some like, Colorado records. Well, I think they most of those records stop at the Rockies. Like, it, it seemed like the distribution kind of halted a little bit coming east. There's, um, there's two records. Um, I was looking last night because I was showing some coworkers because <laughs> they were asking about <laughs> it. Yeah. I was looking last night instead of, you know, working. And um, there's two records from Denver, or the Denver area. That's crazy. Yeah. But it was it's a crazy bird, <laughs> crazy bird. But it's a super cool bird. I yeah. Mean, it's a very, very small penguin-esque little guy. Um, I, I, Whenever I was doing my research on him, because I knew nothing about alcids, um, the very first article called them the flying penguins of the north. So that, <laughs> that stuck with me. But Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's essentially, you imagine a penguin, this bird is like white below, sort of a dark gray on top. It has a black head and some like pencil thin white streaks over the eye and a pale bill. It's a really, really cool bird. It's beautiful. And I was able to actually see it feeding. So I was sitting, it was, it was feeding super close to shore. I mean that the sighting was unreal because it stayed for nine days and every single day it was within, you know, 20, 10 feet of shore. Like it, everyone that got saw it basically got to see it right at their feet. Yeah, it was it was insane. Um, but yeah, I was I was standing on the dock as it was feeding by the edge of the shore, and you could see it actually underwater corralling shoals of fish. That's so cool up into the shore uh, to catch them. It was it was amazing. Yeah, they're they're divers, and they use their wings as penguins use their like fl- basically flippers almost. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's. Uh, they swim. do look really, really goofy when they're <laughs> yeah. flying. Whenever yeah. they land, they don't, like, land well. They just <laughs> sort of skip on the water and then dive, or at least a couple of times I saw it land, that's what it did. Maybe they're yeah, more I wish, elegant. I wish I got to see that because you said it was, it was kind of like funny. skipping a rock and then it's sinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's a crazy, crazy bird. Um, yeah, I uh, the second time I went to see it, I wanted to get some photos of it and there was, you know, still probably 40 people there. Like it was the second day after it was found. And um, I was down on the rocky bank as it was coming closer to shore and it was coming around this corner. I had my camera aimed at where I thought it would, you know, pop back up and I was just ready to take the shot down at eye level right right on the water's edge and I hear it pop up before I see it and it's like three feet to the right of my head <laughs> like it's right next to me and I just freeze because I was scared to scared away and I didn't want to be too close to it as some photographers get but 
that was a very cool experience. I get to see the life in his eyes. <laughs> Super cool. But it was one of my craziest birding experiences. No, oh, yeah. It was that that whole event was amazing. Yeah, I I think I definitely have an answer when people ask what's the rarest bird I've ever seen now. Yeah, but I would I would say so. This I mean probably over 500 people got to come see this thing. There's yeah. over 700 checklists from that look that location was now. Was there really Oh, just man. one of the hot spots people were reporting it from of three. <laughs> um, Holy cow. And probably like the s- solid 600 of those were yeah. from that bird. <laughs> um, yeah, it made two news stations. So not too often that a vagrant does that. But. Yeah, I've had random people texting me and asking me if I saw that bird. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, whenever it showed up and I, I had to tell people I was three and a half hours away. Uh, I, I had a lot of sad faces uh, in, in return, but uh, it stayed for so long that I think anybody that wanted to come see it was able to. Yeah. So super exciting. But, yeah, there's one in Minnesota right now. And um, there's, I mean, yeah, I think that's like fifth or sixth this year, that Minnesota. Yeah, right. So Inland. Super cool, vagrant, but, um, yeah. I guess besides the, the merlet, what other birding have you been doing this past a little bit i know we've done some together yeah well yesterday um went out to the same spot that we are probably about to talk about but i'm out on at harrison bay oh sick yeah went back out there and actually went fishing uh, while i was birding which is actually harder than i expected it to be to focus on those two things at once but did you catch anything i did not um i think there might have been a, a tournament going on because i had some some bass boats like flying by me so mm. did you um, get any good birds not particularly uh, there were uh, hundreds and hundreds of coots and ducks out there again um, and it was a lot clearer so i think we should go check that out uh, here soon yeah this uh this place we're looking at some algae mats across uh, the lake so chickamauga lake it's where the tennessee river is dammed um, and recently a local birder found this little rock outcropping down a trail on the opposite side of the river where people normally view this and it's much closer and much better views mm-hmm. so but yeah we uh luke myself and tim Lenz just recently went out there um i got four county birds so that was <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it was four <laughs> yeah. well, let's list them off uh, I, I just was missing a lot of ducks but you got canvas got back canvas back redhead pintail widgeon and potentially let's yeah. let's look at the list yeah it, it was a good list that's it's one of the most beautiful spots that yeah. i've, I've seen here i mean i was telling one of my friends that we need to just go there and just hang just out to, <laughs> just to see it because it is, it is yeah. really beautiful yeah some super interesting geology there these yeah these rock formations but yeah but yeah what about you what birding have you been doing the day after that we went out um and did a little run in chickamauga lake me and patrick and tim i went one with one of my friends john diener and we went about an hour south uh southwest into alabama uh also along the tennessee river seems where all the birding focuses (laughs) around here Uh, but there's a waterfowl management area and I got, we got over 12,000 ducks in one spot. 12,000? Wow. Yeah, here, honestly, give me, give me a couple. That's refuge numbers. Yeah, I read a, 
an article probably last year that was studying how waterfowl populations are completely shifting from farm ponds and flooded fields and stuff across their migratory ranges to like really funneling down into the protected areas. It makes um, sense. Yeah, it makes sense, but it's really crazy that it's happening so fast that we can really just watch it. Um, but yeah, I, I know the greatest numbers of migratory waterfowl I've ever seen are from the refuges around our 100%. area. 100%. And this place was a waterfowl refuge. There was also swarms of duck hunters scouting. Mm. Um, it, it was, I mean, but even with that, yeah, I think there's a a misconception a lot of, among a lot of um, nature enthusiasts and even some uh, low key conservationists about hunting, but it it's one of the main drivers for conservation actually. Yeah, <laughs> which is, yeah. It's kind of ironic in a way, but it makes sense when you think about it. It's where all the funding comes from, right? It just has to be smart, and sometimes it's not. Yeah. I think competition is a big driver for a lot of conservation efforts. I mean, yeah. eBird alone is <laughs> a testament to that. One hundred percent. Yeah. All right, I've got this list pulled up um, from this just this one location. It's called Stevenson Municipal Park, um, and it's in Jackson County, Alabama. Yeah, we got like fifty-three hundred ringneck ducks and. 4,700 gadwall. Jeez. <laughs> um, nothing rare. We yeah, how, did you, how did you get these specific numbers? 4,690. And um, <laughs> so, well, what we did for the first, like, hour was, like, count ducks or, like, 30 minutes or an hour. Oh, like, I, John just gave me the scope, and he was like, all right, give me numbers. So I went by raft. Like, raft gave it a species whenever the raft gave the rest of, the, of another species. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Ended it up ended up being like by fives or tens. So that wasn't even really it, a crazy estimate. That was no. These are these are pretty close to exact numbers because wow. I was trying to be fair. I think both the gadwall and ringneck duck are low. Uh, probably most of this stuff is low because these ringneck ducks flocks were thick. I'm That's a portion <laughs> of one flock, by the way. He's pulling up pictures from yeah, this list. These pictures are crazy, but I'm guessing you didn't get any. Eurasian widgeons or no. tufted ducks. Shockingly, there were very few uh, widgeon. Only like thirty or forty. Really, really. Yeah, I've seen over like a couple hundred widgeon there well, before. With all the ring neck ducks, surely there was a tufted in there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we gave it a scan, but also around half the flock flushed, and that flock was when we were mainly looking at it in a area straight into the sun, so we couldn't scan it super well. Mm. Uh, and then we went around on the other side and were able to get better looks but at that point half the flock had flushed but no redhead by the way we had <laughs> we had a wow. uh, hundred canvas back over five thousand ring neck ducks and zero redhead hmm. that was scanning that's that's interesting i wonder what the reason for that might be yeah i know just also comparing something like hiawassee wildlife refuge where the prominent dabbling duck is mallard and the prominent mm-hmm. diving duck is canvas back What's the difference there? Right. Um, I mean... That's really interesting. Yeah. And there's a decent amount of redhead. At, like, I've gotten 65 redhead at Hiawassee. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Hiawassee isn't proportionally very far at all 
from like from where you were in Alabama. No, I'm and I'm sure I mean there's a bunch of cranes where I was in Alabama and I'm sure there's some crossover there and I'm sure there's mm-hmm. crossover between the ducks at some point. I mean, it's just a little bit along the same water body. Yeah, uh, if any of our listeners know the answer to that, I'd, yeah. I'd be interested in learning yeah. about that. Um, it's cool. Um, yeah, and then we 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 checked a couple of other spots. They're devoid of all life. It felt like, but um, <laughs> then we went up to Nickajack Lake, and we had some just like normal stuff, bubblehead, scop, uh, and then we scoped across the lake and saw a flock of ducks like a mile or two away. Oh, but it was like there's there's a road there. Let's go. That's always great to see an access point yeah. close to a, some stuff you're scoping. Yeah, so we, we drove along, and uh, well, lo and behold, the viewing point was private property, but this guy had, I think his name was Charlie, super nice guy, this guy had a, a sign that said, uh, honey for sale. So we were like, <laughs> it's time for strategy here. So John pulled into his driveway, knocked on the door, bought honey for something that may have been a little bit overpriced. Uh, hey, it's local. It's, it's local. local. <laughs> it was it was really good honey, though. You uh, pay anything for local honey. And then he let us scope from his yard. He was a really nice guy. And the flock was a single ring neck duck and 200 scop and, like, <laughs> 1,500 coot. But, you know. Hey, it's, it's what you do for birding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, there's, there's been some crazy vagrants going on across the country. Yeah. I, th- I think South Texas is definitely taking the reins on that. But I just saw uh, New Mexico's. I'm partial to New Mexico because I was born yeah, there. The, uh, the nuttings. Yeah, they got a nuttings flycatcher. Yeah. Um, do you know what record this is for ABA? Or is it? God, I don't know. I mean. I think it said it was the third in Arizona or New Mexico. No, it was, it was actually the first for New Mexico. It, mm. was a, it was the third first state record for New Mexico in three months. Which wow. Is crazy. Do you know what the other two were? Nope. I have no, no idea. <laughs> you know, we have a useful tool. T- tool. Yeah. It's probably some other Mexican birds, but yeah, I don't know. But yeah, South Texas, uh, we've got a couple buddies down there and some other Tennessee birders that uh, made the drive. Um, Multiple times. <laughs> yeah. But they have cattle tyrant and uh, ship assist. <laughs> <laughs> regardless, it's a crazy record and um, bare-throated tiger heron, and the, the brown jays are staying. Mottled owl. Mottled owl. and and Also uh, a nutting flycatcher uh, happened. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Nolan Walker. Yeah, I, no, I think like Nolan a, has seen all of those. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Nolan was like at his first day guiding in Texas, and he found the first state record of nutting flycatcher for the state. <laughs> that's just crazy. But, um, yeah, they have a gray-colored Picard right now. And yeah. Um, I mean, just crazy birding down there. But yeah, we had a couple of Tennessee birders that um, just recently broke the lower 48 big year record and didn't just break it, they demolished it. Um, Victor and Ruben stole. Yeah, our our heroes. (laughs) (laughs) But they're two of the most interesting men alive. Um, We are very much so hoping to have them on the podcast at some point, so we'll save some of those stories for them but yeah. yeah some super fun birding across the country right now it makes me want to go on a trip to south texas yeah again I, yeah. I, what you doing over christmas break <laughs> <laughs> uh, a couple cbc's uh, visiting family breathing yeah 
<laughs> going to South Texas. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> man, I, I hope I can get out. I, uh, I was just texting a birder from Arizona about the podcast. And, you know, last year we tried to make a pelagic work. Um, so hopefully. Who is this? Uh, Caden Hatfield. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah so so hopefully um, next year we can get a group of guys to go on a pelagic. I think that'd be super fun. Just make sure it's when I'm in the country. <laughs> yeah. And that is a world of birding that I know nothing about. I, I've been on one pelagic. It was crazy. Yeah. Honestly, like sea watching type stuff is really fun for me. I like windy, cold, struggling, looking at distant specks <laughs> in, the, in the distance, trying to name them. It seems like a challenge for sure. Uh, yeah. it, it seems like a great deal of fun, and yeah. I, I'm excited for my first one, whenever that may be. But yeah, um, I, I went on a a fishing boat a few years ago and got Wilson's Storm Petrel. Hey. No, that, I didn't have binoculars, and I was like, that's the only something. Thing I got. That's something. <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah. I've seen Wilson's Storm Petrel off the coast of North Carolina, <laughs> like with a scope. I was just <laughs> really. Like, that's how I've, that's how I've Wilson's Storm Petrel and um, praying that I could scope and yeah I got yeah the the eastern Atlantic even pretty close to us uh, north and south Carolina beaches have some great birds in the winter yeah um, that's, that's probably hint, 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 hint. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a weekend trip we should we should go on just let me know a weekend I can ask <laughs> off work <laughs> right yeah well how is uh how is your semester wrapping up What's what's up with that? Uh, How many more days do you have? I have exams, and then I'm done. I'm done on Thursday. Yeah. Um, yeah, nothing nothing super crazy. Let's see. Do you have any plans for the break? Bird. I'm working. <laughs> I'm working. <laughs> Bird. <laughs> I'm working 30 hours a week, so. Oh, wow. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, I'm hoping to get out and do some camping, some herping. Yeah. Herping. Uh, yeah, I'm going to look in, for salamanders, in, man. In winter. Yeah. Wow. There's some salamanders you can see in winter. I love salamanders. I have an addiction. Uh, it's a problem. <laughs> I was. <laughs> it's it's a great spot to have that addiction. Yeah, in, honestly, in our like region. When I leave, that's gonna be the thing I miss the most. Yeah, I think. Is it just the Appalachian Mountains, or is it just actually our little region that has the most biodiversity of salamanders? It's the Appalachian Mountains. So we're yeah. it, we would what be what you call, good. If you go an hour east of us, anywhere in the Blue Ridge, it is just crazy for herping. And I've just, like, dipped my toes in. Um, and, the, I mean, the salamander diversity, it's the best in the world. And there's some beautiful stuff. Um, one, actually, you know what we should do? There's this uh, salamander that's called a pigeon mountain pigeon mountain salamander. And pigeon mountain salamander. Yeah, it's this big old. Is that, um, is that uh, does it live close to Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg? <laughs> nope, it lives on Pigeon Mountain. It's like forty five minutes from here. That's why I say we should do it because uh, it's easy. That's fun. Um, but it's endemic to only that area, and you find that yeah. a lot with salamanders. There's like one or two mountain tops, and this pigeon mountain salamander um, is beautiful. Um, it's closely related to the Yanalasi salamander, at least it looks sim- similar to that, uh, Plethodon Yanalasi, and then. It's basically a big old salamander. The Yanalasi is with um, sort of a dark gray coloration and then just like a brick red back. It's mm. really cool. Um, <laughs> well, speaking of stuff that's not birds, uh, how did your fish presentation go? Oh, it went well. It went well. It was a, 
I mean, honestly, I expected to get grilled because my teacher was telling people to grill us, but <laughs> it was, we didn't get grilled. It was Good. super chill. Um, and then we got to walk around the aquarium um, with not that many people for free. So oh, that's cool. It was, yeah. And at, and at night, it was really sick. Mm. Um, yeah. Got a free shirt and a free sticker out of it too. Nice. Know? Those shirts are just about as much as the tickets. So <laughs> it's a good deal. Yeah. Uh, got another free shirt last night at work. I'm just racking up free <laughs> free stuff. <laughs> That's how we got to live these days. Yeah. Take advantage of the th- free offers. Yeah. Honestly, I got like six free stickers, a free shirt, <laughs> a free thing of pizza. By the way, it's in the car if you want some. Uh <laughs> A free case of yerba mate last night at work because we had an event. I work at a climbing gym. It was a competition. I got a pounding headache, but I got free stuff, so it's fine. That's that's worth it. It's worth it, 100%. Um, anyways, back to birding. Uh, yep. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there it is. We're going to talk about some hot spots in our area. So Chattanooga, Tennessee, along the Tennessee River in um, the southeast United States, sort of in the Cumberland Plateau, the southern end of the Cumberland Plateau. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we just hit on one that um, that we went to recently. That the Harrison Bay spot is is a great one, um, and it looks right across to Chester Frost, which is you know by numbers the best hot spot. And, and probably in reality, as much <laughs> as it pains me, the best hot spot in the county. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, I my school's campus is it's his lifeblood. <laughs> it's it's all I care about in the world. Like my campus list um i've seen 213 species there there's 220 on the list officially on ebird and i want it to be to say it's the best hotspot in the county but i think chester frost <laughs> is better well it, maybe if you were there a, a few more years it could <laughs> surpass it but actually i have news i might be there um for the fall of next year i might be on campus for really? a, a few months i might be a lab assistant for Ben. For Ben, that's yeah, cool. Ben's my research teacher right now, so I'll get to, you know, work on some research, help out with some kids' stuff, make money so I can travel, and, uh, yeah. That's great. Yeah, I'm I'm in the process of making money so I can travel as well, <laughs> but it's, it's just to travel back and forth from work to my house. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the traveling I'm doing. Yeah. Anyways, hotspots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chester Frost is uh, one we can talk about forever, but um, I haven't really lived here too long, only a little bit over a year, but um, it's fantastic. And Luke, I know you can say a lot more about these hotspots because you've uh, spent basically your whole life here, but um, what do you know about Chester Frost? So just to set the scene, Chester Frost... It's a park that's like, it's got a, bun- a little bit of forest, a good amount of forest, and a campsite. Um, it's on the lake, but it also has a secluded bay area. So you have this open water, but also some shallow water. And when they drop the lake levels, there's a good amount of mud flats, which will lead into some birds that we're going to mm. talk about. Um, it's And it's a decent sized place with, yeah, a bunch of different habitats. It's got a, like I said, there's a bunch of forest. There's a little bit of marsh. There's some grassy areas. Um mm-hmm open woodland so if you ever need a red-headed woodpecker um, <laughs> man i've never seen more than right there <laughs> yeah honestly um and then you have a v- pretty wide view of the lake mm-hmm. um and a lot of different angles yeah bunches of different angles which is really really helpful 
because there's a lot of places when you're viewing the lake where there's really not much of a an option right you have like one place to scan from but yeah it's it's pretty phenomenal and yeah any time of year i mean something that stands out to me from chester frost a memory of mine it was after a hurricane passed through um and that same day people had reported black skimmer and magnificent frigate bird from chester frost I unfortunately didn't see either of those birds. Crazy records. Yeah, crazy records. Like, I think both first county records. Frigate bird has been seen... Probably at Pickwick or something. Yeah, it's been seen at Pickwick, surely. Um, (laughs) Everything has been seen at Pickwick. Every storm bird. Pickwick's in uh, (laughs) the border with... Is it Alabama or Mississippi? Uh, Probably both. It's probably right there. I think it's, yeah, Alabama and potentially Mississippi. One or the other, or both. Um, In West Tennessee... It's got a bunch of storm birds, mm. but yeah. Uh, and I know skimmer's been seen in the Chattanooga area before, but I think it was in the one county west of us. But yeah. Um, but yeah, talking about some of those mudflats, um, I know last episode we hit on more or less nemesis birds was a uh, <laughs> <laughs> an American golden plover, and s- since Luke has seen one. Thank God. Yeah. Finally, I don't have that hole in my list. <laughs> yeah, he, was, he, he went and saw that one because it's still there. And sadly, Tim sent a picture to our, our group chat today that uh, one of the legs is just kind of shredded. So it's Yeah, probably, it's been messed up. That yeah, it's, it's probably not going to survive too much longer, sadly. But Yeah, which sucks. Yeah. But yeah I. But new lifer. New lifer. <laughs> new that's, that's just county a weird. State bird, I guess. For me, that's such a weird part about birding. It's like everything is so bittersweet a lot of the times when mm. you're chasing stuff. Yeah. Um, I was, so one of my friends, David Hawley, he's in med school up uh, in Johnson City. So, you know, he doesn't, I haven't seen him in over a year, I don't think. And he doesn't get out that much, you know, because he's in med school. Yeah, he has a checklist streak, streak of like over 3,000, maybe <laughs> over 4,000 though. It's kind of insane. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, he he was coming down for Thanksgiving, and so I met up with him, and we hit up Chester Frost, and yeah, lo and behold, we were joking around. We we're like, "What if this golden plover is right here, right in front of us?" Because there's some mud, um, you know, just off the parking lot, mm-hmm. and the bird was right there. <laughs> <It> was like, <laughs> yeah, I I still haven't gone to see that one, and I should. Uh, I want to yeah. get some photos of him. Yeah. But. Um, of course we were like so stoked that we saw the bird that we like went <laughs> and high-fived and scared it like a quarter mile <laughs> to a bit of mud a quarter, mi- quarter mile away. Oh, bummer. But, um, it came back actually. And then the circle back. Yeah. Um, I currently do not have a camera, but David let me use his camera. So I very, very kind of him. Thank mm-hmm. you, David. Uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure you got some better photos than the one you sent me, yeah. which was maybe three pixels. Uh, <laughs> I, I think could, it, I was, I that could. was my best picture I've taken of a bird. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I, like, crawled in the mud, got pretty close to it, and got some decent shots. also got to hear it call, which is cool. That um, is cool. We eliminated that it, any other golden plover species. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah it was, that, was, that was a cool experience, and I finally can say I've seen a golden plover. Um, That's great. It's awesome. Yeah, it was – it's amazing. And then, like, for Chester Frost – like I've been standing there in the driving rain, scoping birds fly- flying over the water, and it's like actually super fun. It's like the best place to do that, in my opinion, in the county, because there's so much lake you can look at. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and there's these algae mats that you can see from Harrison Bay mm-hmm. uh, that are just covered in birds in the winter. Um, yeah, it's a it's an amazing spot. Um, it's the place a Western meadowlark was found. We touched on that yeah. in the last episode. Well, that was probably the most recent uh, amazing bird that was found there. But yeah, there's also you want to tell that uh, your lifer that was found there recently or this fall. The uh, Hudsonian Godwit was a super fun bird that showed up, I guess, was a late September, early November, maybe. Um, yeah, it, I was super, super excited to see that bird. Uh, there, I think it was probably one of the first at that park, if not the first that's I shown up there. I think but it's the first record for Chester Frost, and it was the third county record mm-hmm. overall. Super fun because it was a, a lifer for me. Um, I'm guessing you had probably seen some of them. Yeah, I'd seen one before, but it was a state bird for me. <laughs> yeah, so super cool. Um, but what yeah, what is a Hudsonian uh, Godwit, Patrick? <laughs> it's a pretty large shorebird, um, medium to large shorebird with a super long, slightly upturned bill, um, shorter than the marble Godwit bill, but. Uh, very pretty bird, and I think this one was a juvenile or just in non-breeding plumage, so it was mostly kind of a drab gray, and then the bill is pink and black, so super yeah. cool. And there's a the upper tail coverts are white, and then there's a, a black band across the yeah. tail tip, which is pretty in flight. But. Yeah, they're they're cool. And me and Patrick, uh, I know both of us have sort of an affinity towards shorebirds. Yeah, that's um, definitely one of our favorites. Because it's, I don't know why. I, I actually have not been able to put my finger on it either about why. But that's like shorebirds really are like n- challenging to ID. Yeah, they're a good mix. It's like you get to watch them, you get to study them because they are almost every time you see them, they're in the open or a lot mm. of the times they're in the open and they have like normally have like super subtle patterning like they're mostly yeah. like to a non-bird they're like, that's just a brown bird bro <laughs> what are you <laughs> yeah um, i mean a lot of them i've only recently in the past year or so been able to like really get some of the hard ids down yeah uh, in the non-breeding plumages um but yeah, shorebirds are absolutely one of my favorites, and I could, I could watch them for the rest of my life and be satisfied. And yeah, I like. The thing for me is I like, like oh my god, I love shorebirds. But also, it depends on the season. Because if it's sparrow season, I'm like I love sparrows <laughs> so much. Um, yeah. I think I just love birds. Yeah, I think a lot of birders that kind of get a little bit more advanced, kind of cling to one of the harder species or families to id whether it be and if you're a maniac you cling to goals <laughs> yeah that's that's the next level you got shorebirds and sparrows are like hard but manageable and then you get to impids are like inching towards the hardest and then you get to goals and it's like those are Cause, basically impossible because in reality there's like three species of goals <laughs> but they're like ooh. Listen, there's some that have this phenotype, but then there's just uh, like there's not three species. That's an exaggeration, but I'm <laughs> actually kind of a believer that, well, what is a species is a hard question, but 
there's just there's a lot of different definitions of that scientifically but yeah there's a lot of places with high like massive hybrid swarms of goals and that makes it hard for me to comprehend in my mind that you know you can be in a place in the pacific northwest where you're not going to find very many pure type uh glaucus winged or western goals but Mm. there's going to be I mean, there's all kinds of, there's so many of those hybrids that they have their own like subspecies names now, like the Olympic goal and yeah. And like Olympic goal, I've read some papers on that. Uh, I was helping a friend out with something for research that Olympic goals are actually more fit. Like they have a higher survival rate. Really? than either of the pure like type speciation <laughs> to me yeah I, it's just it's weird and, and who yeah i don't know i don't know the genetics behind it but there's pure types and there's a lot of pure types that will breed with each other but there's also huge hybrid swarms so it yeah. really just de- depends on your definition of a species yeah, but really a species is interesting to get into the thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> some of those harder ones like um I mean, some of the shorebirds do get really hard because they also hybridize sometimes, and yeah. I mean, that can be tough. But um, I think most of them are manageable. But then the impids are like a lot of times you have to hear them call, or you can't tell them apart. There's something it's, satisfying. It's super fun <laughs> to get those harder ones right. Like, There's something yeah. satisfying about having an impid fly in front of you, and like in a second you're like, oh, that's got to be a yellow-bellied flycatcher. You sit back and study it, and it's mm-hmm. a yellow-bellied flycatcher. I had that happen to me twice this fall, and it was really satisfying just to be like, oh, wow, I can actually identify this relatively tough thing to to get down. I uh, think the only yellow-bellied flycatcher I've ever seen was one that I found in at Radnor Lake in Nashville when I was, like, 11. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's really the last one I've seen. But. Yeah, I I had one multiple days up on like a minute from where I live on one of the ridges here uh, in the area and then I also it's technically the same ridge in a a state forest I was out there birding and had a bunch of birds and I had a yellow belly flycatcher 10 feet in front of my face (laughs) and that's what makes you really miss having a camera (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah I I haven't had too much experience without a camera because I've been birding for most of my life with one but um, Me I too. went, yeah, like honestly, yeah. Um, I went to Honduras in 2019 on a mission trip and I just, for some safety reasons, didn't want to bring a camera, y- you know, that might draw attention that you don't want, but we were staying on a, on a campus there in Tegucigalpa and there were nesting, breeding lessons, mot mot and turquoise brow mot on the campus. <laughs> and they were so familiar with people Jeez. that you could literally walk up within 10 feet of them. And I would just, it was glorious to get to study them, but did not get to take any photos of them. So that was heartbreaking. But, um, so an interesting thing about the camera for me is I honestly sometimes get, or a lot of the times I think get more out of a birding experience without a camera just because mm. I'm able to actually think about the bird right um, I get to know the bird better and I get to see how it fits into the environment better I mean honestly a good example of that is the merlet uh, if I had a camera I would have been really focused on getting that amazing shot right 
but I was able to literally for I think six hours over the time that it was there over multiple days I was able to just sit and look at it yeah, and study there's, it there's definitely pros and cons to having and not having um I think I totally agree with that I think that it's a totally different um mindset whenever you're with a bird that you just want to study and just want to watch it um but for me like if you do get a photo you can really see some of the details that you almost couldn't even capture with your 100 um, with your bare eyes and you can see some really particular stuff that's just fascinating but yeah I, I think watching and sitting back and just studying behavior is a really beautiful aspect of birding that some people kind of skip over 100 percent. one thing i've actually been trying to do is like take field notes i'm not good at doing it normally but <laughs> i mean it's 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 satisfying and like mm-hmm. sketching that type of stuff yeah that's, that's what i did in honduras I, I had to sketch everything i saw and i only had 20 species <laughs> <laughs> for 10 days but yeah um you know i, I it was my first taste of sketching, so yeah. I felt like I was Darwin or something. <laughs> There's something to be said about the satisfaction that comes from, like, taking notes and sketching a bird and getting to know it well versus just snapping a picture and moving on, I'd say. And yeah, at least, um, absolutely. Uh, there's, there's definitely um, valuable factors in both, in both yeah, for sure. But, for sure. Um, I, I know photographers typically get a bad rep among the birding community because a lot of them are kind of reckless with their at the snowy owl that was attempts. in Chattanooga a couple years back there was literally some people playing snowy owl playback trying to get <laughs> this resting bird to fly so they could get a flight shot and it was oh, just man. trying to rest and I wanted to like go over there and like knock all their cameras down I did yeah. it <laughs> Yeah, especially with rare birds, people seem to really abuse some of them with playback. Um, yeah. But it, it just it depends on the year and the state of the bird and stuff if if it's really awful. But I know there's all kinds of different opinions on playback, so I don't know if we should even dive into that. But Yeah, let's not get ourselves <laughs> into a bunch of trouble. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to circle but, back to hot spots. <laughs> well, I guess... I've, I wanted to say this in the introduction, um, introductory episode, but I, I said the name Darwin, so it made me think of it. But um, let's see, it was late October, I guess, and I was on fall break, and I got to do probably the coolest thing that I've ever done in my entire life. Um, and I don't think I've actually even told you the details of this, um, but... I know what he's talking about now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> this isn't related to hot spots. <laughs> no, it's not at all. But it's it's worth saying because it's I mean, it's just worth saying. But yeah, this is really, really sick. My uncle is probably one of the highest guys up in the Navy for bird strike with planes. So he So random. Yeah, such a random connection. He's kind of in charge of developing a lot of that technology um, to reduce some of those impacts. And uh, he just uh, works with some pretty cool people with that. And he's mentioned to um, myself and my father in the past that he knows some folks at the Smithsonian that he would want to put us in contact with. And we finally just made it happen. So he put us in touch with Carla Dove, who is the chief ornithologist on staff at the at the Smithsonian. 
and she gave us a private tour of the bird feather ID lab Jeez. at the Natural History Museum. That's <laughs> insane. Yeah, I I will never be the same. So <laughs> <laughs> so we walk in to the Natural History Museum. First of all, I feel like I'm in like some kind of special person because we just get to bypass all the lines and like go up into the back rooms type stuff <laughs> but um we get to patrick's not like other girls <laughs> <laughs> but um geez so we get into this this room in the upper floors of the museum and it's like basically a warehouse and it's you know 35 foot 40 foot ceilings stacked to the ceiling with these cabinets that line left and right like a hundred feet and there's 500,000 specimens of stuffed birds in that room representing about 8,500 of the known roughly 11,000 species that's (laughs) 8,500 oh my god unreal collection um obviously the largest in the world um and she carla dove starts walking us through and opening up these cabinets and it's just drawers and drawers and drawers of these species from all over the world and she gets to this one cabinet and she says this is our wow drawer and you know in the back of my head i've been like thinking man do they do they have extinct birds here? Like, do they have the stuff that you dream about seeing? Mm-hmm. And me and my dad have been con- con- contemplating seeing them, and, like, would they let us take a picture of them? Would they, like, even let us, like, see them? Do they even have them? So there was a lot of mystery around that, but she opens up this drawer, and it's all in one place. <laughs> they have... <laughs> Ivory build and Carolina parakeet and passenger pigeon and like all this stuff lined up and my my jaw just drops and I freeze and I'm like oh my gosh this is it this is it <laughs> and she just the most casual thing ever she reaches over and <laughs> picks up the ivory build and just hands it to me <laughs> and I, give I, me a second we're gonna. <laughs> I'll link these photos in the below. I'm pretty sure Patrick sent me a picture um, of him freaking out. Yeah, I I mean, how do you respond to that? But um, I'm just holding this perfect specimen of an ivory build, and it just dwarfs a pileated, which I did not expect. But, I mean, side by side, it's it's so much larger, and the black is so much richer. And they don't treat any of their any of their specimens with anything which is unreal because i was just handling it with my bare hands but this this one was from um from texas in 1904 um untreated still in perfect condition so it's like the most incredible thing ever i mean the rest of the drawer is actually debatably more impressive um yeah (laughs) so i mean the carolina parakeet was one that i really wanted to see it's way more beautiful than I expected honestly just such vibrant colors um, and passenger pigeons just huge you understand why they were shooting them because it'd be a lot of meat there <laughs> but, yeah. um, but 
she hands me this little box of four warblers, some new, and I think there was a lazuli bunting mixed in, but um, John James Audubon stuffed and tagged those. And so I'm, I'm holding them. I'm holding them in That's my hand. Insane. And just, you can see his handwriting on the tags. And um, and I put it back down. And she hands me another one. It's a song sparrow. And Theodore Roosevelt stuffed <laughs> and tagged that <laughs> one. And I mean, I these are expecting. all from the 1800s. And it's like they're in their handwriting and they haven't been modified or anything since. And then she hands me this box of three little blackbirds. She she says, do you know what these are? And I just, I hope, but I, I didn't want to guess. And I said, are they Darwin's finches? And she said, yes. Jeez. <laughs> they have his finches that he took from the Galapagos. Um, and based the theory of that? Yep. Natural selection. Three different species right there in my hands, untouched, like unchanged since he stuffed them and he tagged them. I mean, what you think about his conclusion is aside because it's just one of the most fundamental pieces of modern science yeah. that exists. I mean, absolutely unreal, and I'm just shaking and speechless, but... I mean, I could have spent... Maybe, <laughs> like, peed your pants a little bit. <laughs> yeah, or or, or something else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but just absolutely crazy and um, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, but she took us into her uh, her lab where they where she's done all of her research, which is on corydiforms, where uh, she studied how their feathers change some of their um, buoyancy and um, water repellent um, factors but um, super cool to look at some of that and study the DNA of, uh, of some of these species but what they do there is they collect the leftovers basically <laughs> of, sounds like it's Thanksgiving <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of bird strikes from airports across the world so that's how my uncle knows them, but um, they—that's why they have to have the lab in that room because they need to have every species possible there to test them side by side to see if what the plane hit was one of those species. So, mm-hmm. um, super cool though, and I got to see some really cool projects that she's worked on. Um, the plane that crash landed into the Hudson Bay. A few years back that the movie Sully is based on, she headed that project of ID identifying those birds and um, she had all the uh, all the little souvenirs from that. But <laughs> I mean, just, just really crazy stuff. But um, yeah, I forgot to mention that in the introductory episode that that had <laughs> just recently happened. But yeah, that's insane. That's yeah, I, I mean, I could talk all day about that. But. Yeah, I... I bet, honestly. That's <laughs> <laughs> just such a blessing, such a blessing. But Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, <laughs> I guess talking about uh, hot spots again. Yeah, um, after uh, 30 uh, minutes <laughs> of a tangent. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll let you head up the next hot spot that you want to yeah, hit on. Yeah, um, God, it's a hard question. There's a lot of hot spots. I know, it's... It's see, see, my brain automatically goes area, to Baylor, yeah. but we're going to have to do an episode on that <laughs> on its own. Yeah. Uh, 
Man, Brainerd Levy is a good one. Yeah, um, I, that's probably the one I spent the most time at. Yeah, honestly, you may have hit Brainerd more than I have. <laughs> it's three minutes from my house right now, so. Um, Tell us about it. It's it's a great spot. It's one of my favorite spots. So it's. It's not as good as Baylor. Yeah. <laughs> In its entirety, is probably six or seven miles long. It's basically a path on top of the levee and on one side is what is that chickamauga creek is that what that is i think it's south chickamauga creek and then on the other is kind of a flood land basically yeah um you know they're actually making it into a park to preserve it for bird habitat are they really um yeah yeah that at least uh scott martin told me that yeah that's amazing I hope so because it needs it. Um, it's such a vital little stopover site for a lot of migratory birds. It's it's basically a floodplain, but there's a pretty big open expanse um, at one end of it that you have a lot of shallow water and some good grassland around the edges and some forest to one side. Um, but it's great for shorebirds and sometimes, uh, <laughs> sometimes, but nowhere. It's gotten worse over the yeah. years, which is why it needs to be ma- or monitored, <laughs> maintained. Yeah. yeah, I mean, nowhere in this county is great for shorebirds. But, <laughs> um, but dabbling ducks are great there. Um, there's a lot of grassland on the opposing side of the levee, um, which. Sadly, we're not in control of when they mow it, but <laughs> they they mow it a little bit too early for some good sparrows to come through, sadly. But, um, but yeah, there's just a lot of opportunity for good birds there. Um, I I think my biggest solo checklist ever was from there. How many species? This spring. Um, I had 73 in five hours. So, I mean, there's definitely... That's not... Insane numbers, but for yeah, I've for done better. <laughs> there, <you> know. <laughs> of course, of course, but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just once you hit like a certain number, especially when you're not in a crazy spot like South Texas or something, um, it, it's it's great to see that many species. And it's not like there's trails; like there's really not. You have a straight line that you just look left no, and right. No, this, that's actually like a good list. I'm, <laughs> I'm just being annoying for the hell of it. I <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's. It's a great spot though, and I've I've loved spending time there. Um, yeah, for me, some highlights there over the years. I've uh, within a week, I got common gallinule and tricolored heron. Oh man, I don't there. have either of those in the state. Actually, yeah, I was. This was during my county. Heron. I did a wow. I did a Hamilton County big year back in 2021. I fell short of the record by three species. Darn. Um, don't want to talk about it. Might cry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we were. I got. Was that tricolor a continuing bird, or did you find that? I was continuing. It was oh, found man. that I think that morning. Really? Uh, so not very long continuing. No, I think, I think it was one day wonder. And jeez. Uh, yeah, I was birding with Sky Clyde Blum, and with the common gallinule, we were driving away. Um, driving, we both live on signal. Driving back home, and I got the call. I was like, Clyde. I don't have this bird for the state, and it would be a great pickup. And I was like, all right, let's turn around. Mm-hmm. And we actually got Cedron and Bank Swallow on that same list, too. Uh, Bank Swallow? Yeah. Whoa. 
That's I'd, honestly the levee is one of the best places for bank swallow. I've seen bank swallow. I've seen bank swallow a couple places across the county. But yeah, that's cool. I've only seen one in the state. I think really. Yeah, I haven't necessarily gone looking for them, but they're um, harder to see. Especially, I mean, they're easiest here in the spring, I would say. But you have to like look at a swarm of swallows for a mm-hmm. while, and that can be a bit of a headache. But yeah, do com- you have cave swallow in the county or state? Nope. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I I keep praying. That I'll just it's a really hard one. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly, I pray this happens a lot that I'll be walking to school one day. I'll look yeah. over and there's gonna be a swallow, it's a <laughs> sw- or a cave swallow. Yeah, I, I think out in West Tennessee, chances are higher um, significantly. But regardless, that it would be a great bird to see eventually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I know we could easily do a whole episode on Baylor, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, there's there's just been some spots in in the recent months that have been pretty good. So. Not to mention, there's a bunch of places on the ridges where you're just in forests and you get a bunch of migrants mm-hmm. showing up, which can be some of the most fun birding. Yeah, I, I had probably my most memorable experience with passerines ever, honestly. Mm. Maybe outside of um, my trip to Texas, up at Craven's house, which is up on Lookout Mountain. Um, about 20 minutes outside of downtown and it just looked like the trees were losing all of their leaves at one point it was a mixed flock of probably 50 to 100 uh, warblers just shifting all at once and it just it was the most incredible thing I've probably ever seen with warblers I mean it's just wild but I've I've had some crazy experiences (laughs) at Cravens too. I mean, one day I had, in like half a mile, I had like 40 Tennessee warblers um, in the spring, which is crazy. Like 40 Tennessee warblers in the fall makes sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've gotten like lists with almost 70 in the fall before. I mean, they're easily our most abundant warbler. Yeah, but like 40 Tennessee warblers, a good amount of black burnians and black poles and Mm. Black Burnian is one of the most incredible birds that we have, I would <laughs> yeah. argue. It's, yeah. uh, it's just uh, it's really <sighs> like a dark black on top with some crisp white streaking, and then its throat on the breeding adult male is bright orange. Yeah, it's, like, I mean, fire orange. It's like the brightest orange you could <laughs> imagine. It, it's, it's definitely debatably one of the most beautiful warblers we have. Yeah, I mean... Um, Tangent from from uh, warblers, pheasants and like that whole order. Have you looked <laughs> at the trogopans? I think. Uh, I don't know. I'm in a Facebook group called Red Polling, uh, Redder Polling <laughs> Group, and they're doing a bracket on galliforms. And uh, wow, mm. that group has some incredible species. Man, yeah, I'd, I've only seen ring-necked, and it was in Hawaii, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's yeah, there's some just stupid crazy species i encourage anyone just to spend some time looking through all the pheasants and chicken relatives essentially just (laughs) just spend spend some time look through them and be and then you'll you'll be amazed because there's just stuff that just doesn't make sense Hmm. it's insane well i think it's probably about time to it is about time to wrap this one up um thank you guys so much for listening yeah we hope all of you all have a very very merry christmas yeah um this has been patrick higgins and luke thompson with back to birding
I'll see you next time.